Welcome to the Okay, that was our intro. Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me, your host, Janine Moloff. I'm also the producer, and this week, wow, there was a story that just broke today from The Intercept. It's, it's a chilling expose uh, written by Sharon Lerner, and it's on yet another corporate crime, guess what, aided and abetted by Donald Trump and his cronies in the Trump administration. And this story is so new. I, li- I literally saw it in an email a few hours ago. So I bear and it's long, and I barely had time to really read it and review the information. But I felt like it was so dire. I, I felt the urgency um, to borrow a phrase from the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. God bless him. I feel to use his phrase, the urgency of now. And this is a story of yet another environmental crime. It result, it's resulted in the carcinogenic or cancerous poisoning of unknown numbers for the, in the name of profits. And this is a story which reports how the Trump EPA, the Trump Environmental Protection Agency, allowed the chemical industry and their insiders to get this, falsify official EPA records. You can't make this stuff up. I can hear people say right now, well, isn't falsifying official government records, isn't that a crime? Yes, it is. And it's a crime that can get the people involved not only heavily fined, but also prison time. Has that often happened? No. So let's get into it. And again, this is just, I'm going to try and get through this as best I can. We might not get through all of it. I may have to make this into a two-parter. We'll see. But I'm going to do my best. So from The Intercept, uh, Intercept journalist Sharon Lerner writes uh, this headline, Tracking the Invisible Killer, Trump EPA invited companies to revise pollution records of a potent carcinogen. And and the story came out today just a few hours ago. So the story starts out with uh, some biographical information about some of the victims. The actual chemical poison that they're referring to in this report um, is something that a lot of people have probably not heard of, but it's used commonly. And it is a colorless, odorless gas called ethylene oxide. And ethylene oxide has been noted as a carcinogen by the CDC and OSHA since the initial study in 1979. 1979, okay? So apparently there are some communities, especially in Illinois and in Texas, where people have been coming down with unexplained cancers, including very rare cancers, that these people just don't fit the genetic um, description at all. So basically, Sharon Lerner starts with the story of a woman named Millie Corder. And the first line, very simply, is Millie Corder didn't know why there was so much cancer in her family. That's pretty blatant. Uh, Apparently, Miss Corder's daughter, Cheryl, was 27 when she was diagnosed with breast cancer and 34 when the disease killed her in 02. 
her husband, Chuck, had been diagnosed with prostate cancer. He recovered, but then he developed skin cancer in 05. Millie herself was diagnosed with colon cancer, and then two years later, breast cancer. So there was a blur. And while Millie was recovering, her husband died. Then two years later, her stepson, Brian, was diagnosed and died with lung cancer. So since burying her daughter, her stepson, and her husband, Millie Corder learned that the neighborhood where she has lived in Lake County, Illinois, has been inundated with dangerous amounts of this gas called ethylene oxide. Keep in mind, ethylene oxide, according to the preliminary studies in 1979, has been considered a carcinogen by the CDC and OSHA. Now, there were some other towns in Illinois as well, Gurney and nearby Waukegan, that had had similar mysterious and unexplained uh, just explosions of cancer. So these people got together and they formed a group. They met in a local church and their group is called Stop ETO in Lake County. Okay, it's a Facebook group actually. And ETO, they're talking about ethylene oxide. And they made, they, they created this group because they want to limit the use of this, what has been proven to be now a cancer causing gas. And it's coming from local plants and the authorities have called it a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. Another woman named Yvonne Davies had follicular lymphoma. Uh, her twin brother in another group um, had developed the same cancer. And they, no, I'm sorry, she learned that the twin brother of another member in the group, Sarah Crawford, had developed the same cancer and had grown up near Davies' house. Patty Bennett, and another woman named Patty Bennett, and moved to Gurney. Ironically, she was trying to escape the effects of living near a landfill in her previous in her previous community. She went to this local forum on chemicals and cancer, and she was, again, talking about coincidence, coincidentally sitting next to a young woman who had been diagnosed with the same rare form of leukemia that she had been diagnosed with. There's Chandra Sefton. She's lived both in Waukegan and Gurney, was diagnosed with chronic lymph lymphocytic leukemia, and... Here, get the kicker here. Chronic lymphocytic leukemia is a specific form of cancer that has been shown to be proven, I mean, that's been proven to be caused, that is, by ethylene oxide exposure in mice and rats. And that's according to uh, the online library.wiley.com DOI. Peggy Innes had three separate cancers. And she felt, according to this article, quote, like a walking statistical anomaly. To quote Ms. Innes, quote, unlike, where are all these bloody cancers coming from? Okay. I had the test for the BRCA gene, which is the one for, for breast cancer, and it came back negative. I don't smoke. I exercise. I'm a line dancer. I eat healthy. What the hell? Then I found out about the ETO group, the ethylene oxide group, and I thought, aha, oh, my God, we're living in a cancer zone, end quote. Okay, so let's talk about Lake County, Illinois, these towns where people live in. We'll start with that, and then we'll move on to Texas. Lake County, Illinois has two industrial facilities that release ethylene oxide. Medline is one of the facilities, and it's in Waukegan, and it uses ethylene oxide to sterilize medical equipment. Apparently, that's one of the um, routine uses. 
There's also another company named Vantage Specialty Chemicals, which is in Gurney, and it uses ethylene oxide to make, ironically, other chemicals and consumer products. Now, here's a little more. Illinois State, the state of Illinois passed two laws to actually regulate ethylene oxide. They passed it in 2019, but here's what happened. Both companies agreed to reduce the amount of gas they released, but it didn't work out too well. Okay? So Medline has a new permit and capped their emissions at 150 pounds per year. There's a lot of facts and figures, a lot of numbers in this report. And when you look at, oh, 400 cancer deaths in a million or whatever, it doesn't sound like a lot. I realize that. You have to understand that a lot of these statistical figures are, you have to understand how they're used, all right? And if you don't, it sounds benign, but believe me, it's not. So there was a local scientist in the stock ETO in Lake County named John Aldrin, and he started really um, reviewing the air monitoring in that area. And just from his house, according to Sharon Lerner, he could see where three people he knew developed cancer lived near him. And Aldrin hoped that the monitoring would take care of the problem, okay, that there'd be stricter permits and that the air would be safer. He also thought that the monitoring could reveal a, an ongoing persistent danger that could lead to more action from companies and regulators to protect his community. Uh, but what Aldrin didn't realize was that the county's monitoring would show a risk and no one would address it. Okay. So they measured the risk, but they didn't do anything about it, and that's what happened. Even in Illinois, Illinois is a state, they've done more to, in fact, they've done the most, according to this article, to combat or fight ethylene oxide pollution but people are still exposed to levels of the chemical, quote, above a safety threshold the EPA set more than four years ago. And so Aldrin realized, okay, their community's been exposed for decades. The EPA's been woefully ineffective through multiple administrations. And why were they allowed to get away with it? Why did this sneak up on them? Well, like I said before, unlike other chemicals, ethylene oxide does not really have a smell. It's colorless, it's odorless, and so it's, and the only time it has any odor if it's present in extremely high concentrations. And there's no obvious way to monitor when it's being released, okay? So to ensure that their air is safe or relatively safe, local activists obviously are going to rely on public records. Now, this is where things get truly slimy. Keep in mind that the official record falsification about to be discussed is a criminal act and punishable by hefty fines and prison time. The community was going through records of ethylene oxide. Companies that released the chemical were quietly pursuing their own little political campaign. And what they were doing is they were changing those records. Okay? So, again, in my words, these companies weren't just, you can say they were changing the records. I'll call it what it is. They were conspiring to falsify public records so that their emissions of ethylene oxide 
would look to be at lower concentrations, less harmful, and they basically erased, according to this article, hundreds of thousands of pounds of ethylene oxide, a known carcinogen, from public records. To make matters worse, in some cases, industry insiders, they appear to have done so, get this, at the, invitation, at the EPA's invitation. And this was under the leadership of Donald Trump, and he, you know, basically he had appointed former chemical industry executives to head up the EPA. And that is according to, again, The Intercept, a story called uh, Trump Administration EPA Carcinogens Regulations. Now, here's the thing about um, ethylene oxide. The scientific community has known for decades, plural, Remember, a decade's 10 years, this is plural, so multiples of 10 years, that ethylene oxide not only can cause cancer, but that small, very tiny amounts can kill. Now, why would they produce such a chemical? Well, here's the reason. Ethylene oxide, high levels of lethality, is what makes it so useful as a sterilizing agent for medical equipment and spices, okay? And according to the article, quote, released into a chamber with these products, it, meaning ethylene ethylene oxide, disrupts on contact the cellular metabolism and reproductive processes of microorganisms. Okay, folks, I'm not a biologist, but I know some basics. When you have cells, my cellular, when you have cells whose metabolism and reproductive processes have been disrupted, that's cancer. That's what cancer does. Cancer disrupts the, the cellular metabolism and the reproductive processes, among other things. That is the mutation, that's the mutative action of the illness, the cluster of illnesses, which we commonly know as no, it's cancer. So, you know, you can have a deep silence now because basically ethylene oxide is obviously a carcinogenic product that, it, and they use it to sterilize medical instruments so that they're killing basically, you know, any sort of pathogens that might affect the medical instruments. I understand that. But when you're dealing with a, a chemical that is obviously so dangerous wouldn't you think you would do everything in your in your power to make sure it wasn't released into the atmosphere? But that's not what's happening. Chemical companies also use ethylene oxide to produce other chemicals uh, that go into a whole number of products, including brake fluid, antifreeze, coolant, cosmetics, food additives, agrochemicals, and many kinds of plastics. You know, that's frightening. The idea they're using ethylene oxide in cosmetics or food additives or agrochemicals, you put that together over time with the explosion of multiple cancers we have, including cancers that affect young people that should not, the incidence of uh, cancer in, in children should be almost non-existent. And we have a formula here that is truly toxic. This is a toxic stew my opinion, but I'm just saying, 
something like that should not be in food additives. It shouldn't be in cosmetics that go on your skin that can seep into your pores and into your bloodstream. It definitely should not go and put it in antifreeze, and again, that goes into the air. Agrochemicals, again, that gets through the food chain. My question is this. Why did it take till 2021 for this story to break? when we first knew the potential danger of ethylene oxide all the way back in 1979 from our CDC, Centers for Disease Control. And the article goes on to say even gaseous forms, even slight microscopic amounts of ethylene oxide, extremely dangerous. Now, the cancers are thought to occur through long-term exposure. But once again, why do we need to be exposed to this? Couldn't they use something else? I mean, it's a realistic question. So the EPA several very uh, confusing calculations, calculations of formulas that are so confusing, according to this article, that even some mathematicians and some environmental scientists are a little bit clueless on. Uh, and again, if you, you know, the teacher in me comes out. If you have to use jargon to explain something and you can't get it down to its lowest common denominator and say, this is what it is, that means you, A, either don't understand the problem and you're faking it, or B, you are obfuscating and trying to hide the truth. Again, I'm not making accusations. I'm expressing all these questions. So... We're going to go through again. There was a spot in this um, elementary school, Spalding Elementary in Gurney, and the amount of ethylene uh, oxide measured in November 2019, according to this article, was more than 50 times the EPA's weaker cancer risk level, cancer risk um, regulation. Now, it says that's cancer risk of more than 5,000 in a million, which, again, it's hard for the layperson to understand that that's significant, but it is. It is significant. Uh, there is also um, a residential area near the Vantage plant. The amount measured by the EPA was more than 88 times the safety level and more than 8,800 times um, the past the safety level of the more rigorous EPA threshold that was older. Keep in mind, just two miles from the Vantage plant that produces ethylene oxide, um, yeah, ethylene oxide, school buses are parked in Gurney, Illinois. These plants are operating near our schools where our children attend. They are near school buses where our children get on the bus. These children are exposed on a daily level. We don't know what's going to happen 10, 20 years from now, but we can pretty much guess. So John Aldrin, again, who's with that activist group, he was quoted saying, I figured if the numbers were high, they'd take action, the companies and the government. And he asked both the county and the state to investigate ongoing risk posed by the gas after he uh, reviewed monitoring results and this was a document that was in Lake County, Illinois.gov, ETO monitoring results. But they found that after these results were published in June, 
neither the county health department nor the state environmental agency place any extra limits on either facility. And they didn't take any steps to push to lower the emissions either. To quote John Aldrin instead, I heard crickets. Now we've got the EPA, the Illinois EPA public, public information officer, okay? And her name's Kim Diggs. Now keep in mind, this is my own personal opinion. To me, a public information officer is just politically correct speak for public relations. And as far as I'm concerned, public relations isn't very far from being a propagandist, okay? But Kim Diggs, she's a public information officer for the Illinois EPA. She wrote an email that Lake County, the Lake County Health Department's air monitoring results, quote, did not provide evidence of the need for additional testing. I guess she doesn't have any family or kids that live near there. Biggs also wrote that, quote, the canister monitoring performed by Lake County Health Department was never intended to be long-term, end quote. Okay, why wasn't it? If you know there's a known carcinogen in your community, why would you not want the monitoring to be long-term if you're interested in protecting the public? Now, it's a rhetorical question because we can pretty much guess, but it's a, it's a question that needs to be pursued, and we need to demand an answer from the Illinois EPA as well as the feds. Now, Hannah Gehring is the communications manager for Lake County Health Department, and Ms. Gehring told The Intercept that the EPA and the Illinois EPA, um, after reviewing the monitoring data, uh, that the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, okay, and we're familiar with that agency here in St. Louis, the division on the CDC, that the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, quote, is working on a health risk assessment which is not yet complete. After that report is completed, the Illinois Department of Public Health is committed to produce a cancer incidence rate, including Lake County. The, IA, the Illinois EPA is the regulatory body, and they can and do take action when their regulations are violated, end quote. Now, Gehring's email also pointed out that the county itself doesn't have the power to limit emissions from the plant. Wow, isn't that convenient? So we've dealt with the ATSDR, the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, here in St. Louis with the Westlake debacle. They send somebody, usually a scientist, that is connected with the military, and they're usually very polite and very nice, but what the community failed to understand was that if there are military personnel attached to, the, to that office, they are not at liberty to tell the truth. They must follow their commanding officer's orders. And if that means lying about an environmental disaster, or at the very least withhold the truth, yes, they will. I don't think much of that particular, of that agency or toxic substances and disease registry. And this sounds like more uh, bureaucratic doublespeak. Now, here's something that makes matters worse. There was a more affluent community in that same area of Illinois called Willowbrook, Illinois. Now, they were able to close down a sterilizing plant that uses or produces ethylene oxide. Um, Willowbrook is more affluent. It's an hour's drive from Gurney. Um, 
And part of it was that the Willowbrook plant was releasing dangerous amounts of the gas. Okay? So when local authorities refused to follow up on the monitoring results which showed that, um, you know, Aldrin his name. So basically Willowbrook is more affluent. Let me backtrack a little bit. It's also more white as well as more affluent. The community, once again, to no surprise, get dumped on the worst, are poorer and blacker. Okay, so we go on. So John Alder and his neighbors decided that they were going to do some monitoring of their own that they couldn't count on the EPA. So the largest source of emissions did go unchecked. Now, the widespread danger of ethylene oxide pollution it really hit the, it really became very apparent in 2018. The EPA issued its quote national air toxic assessment. And the national air toxic assessment included an estimated cancer risk for each census tract in the US based on each individual chemical. In other words, the EPA is measuring each area of the United States and each chemical and how, you know, how much cancer does this lead to? Two years before that, there was another division of the EPA called IRIS. And IRIS assessed ethylene oxide and found that it was, get this, 30 times more carcinogenic than they previously thought. Okay? And what they also found was after reviewing 100 census tracts around the country with cancer risk levels, cancer risk levels attributed to air pollution from the chemical from ethylene oxide, um, they found that those that were above the 101 million threshold, most of the risk was due to ethylene oxide pollution, and most of it fell in communities that were poorer and in lower, to quote the Sharon Lerner in the article, she very diplomatically put, most of it fell, quote, most of it fell in communities that were poorer and have lower percentages of white residents in the rest of the country. And the Intercept had reported that previously as well in 2019. To put in my own words, more the most dangerously poisoned areas were, in, were areas that were poorer and blacker. That's just a fact. So two years after that data was released, the majority of people that were living in these, what can only be called toxic hotspots according to this article, did they receive any help from the EPA? No. Were they alerted to this problem, to their, the danger they were facing from ethylene oxide from, by the EPA? Did the EPA alert them to the danger they were facing on a daily basis from ethylene oxide? The answer is no. Did the EPA do anything to address the problem of ethylene oxide in these communities? The answer is no. And that's damning. We may not get to the part about them rewriting the, the um, you know, the records, but we'll try to. So there were other countries, I mean, other, other states that had the same problem, okay? Um, there was another group in Georgia. There was um, a, some people in, a, in an area called Port Neches, Texas. It's a Gulf Coast community, and there's a plant there that produces ethylene oxide, and that particular plant, according to this article, emits more, more ethylene oxide, more of this carcinogen 
than any other facility in the country. And that we were, this article was informed there were two women, Jill Pierce and Jane Legge, and they had not heard of this chemical. Um, they're twin sisters, they grew up in Port Neches, and they are part of a group they ironically call themselves the Lucky Seven. And they call themselves that because each one of them was lucky to have seven best friends. So now you have this plant, this company called Indorama. In 2016, Indorama's plant was the largest single-site producer of ethylene oxide in North America. Okay. The members of this Lucky Seven group really didn't know the chemical plant was was poisoning their environment. The factory that where Indorama uh, uh, produces this was previously owned by Texaco, but this factory, the Indorama plant, was just a half mile from the elementary school and middle school where these kids went. Now think about it. Regardless of where you live, would you want your children attending a school that was a half mile from a chemical plant that knowingly produces a proven carcinogen and then shoots it up into the air? So in the 1990s, there was a plastic packaging company called Huntsman Petrochemical. They bought the plant, I guess, from Texaco. They operated for 20 years. And then they sold it to this Thai company called Indorama Ventures. In 2016, the plant added 250 million pounds to its already existing 1 billion pounds, billion with a B, ethylene oxide production capacity, which made it the largest single-site producer of ethylene oxide in North America. Now, Texas does have a few laws. One of the laws they have requires com companies that are asking for any increases to their air, a lot increases to their air pollution emissions allowance, they have to get authorization from the state. Um, before approving a plant expansion, um, the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality can, doesn't mean it required to, can, quote, require modeling of the impact of these added emissions on the local community. Okay. Here's the thing. That same plant, that Indorama plant that was a half mile from an elementary and a middle school in Port Neches, it didn't trigger modeling. In other words, it didn't trigger this, you know, this actual environmental impact uh, study. Why? Well, the company was asked, and Tiffany Young, who is a spokesman for TCEQ, okay, um, yeah, wrote an email that the company, quote, provided reductions of ethylene oxide at other facilities at the site to offset the increases in ethylene oxide from the new unit. Modeling ethylene oxide was not required since the emission decreases were larger than the proposed emission increases. Okay, end quote. But again, that's not consistent with Texas law. So who allows them to skip this legal requirement? Tiffany Young, spokesman for the company, is basically saying, well, you know, we had some reductions in this carcinogen we're pumping into the air at our other facilities. So we don't have to worry about an increase in pollution here at Port Neches. Okay, it all evens out. Really, Miss Young. Okay, tell it to the families who have lost loved ones from cancer caused by ethylene oxide exposure. 
so it goes on and on and on. There was Todd Cloud, who's an environmental expert. He's worked as a consultant to petrochemical companies, uh, trying to, you know, kind of help them with issues related to Clean Air Act. He's done it for over 20 years. And he began using his alleged expertise to help communities affected by pollution last year. And he explained that the plants handling the issue is ironically legal, even though it thwarts the intention of environmental law. To quote um, Mr. Cloud, quote, it's a master class on how to tiptoe through the Clean Air Act. They don't want to undertake a project that will trigger ethylene oxide modeling because they know they can't possibly pass, end quote. So how do they tiptoe through the law? That's my question. Mr. Cloud didn't really explain that. But this is, again, more semantic gains while people are dying. People that are dying from being exposed to this known carcinogen. Okay. So the EPA did do some additional studies. Okay. And even after they did more precise accounting of the quote Neche's elevated cancer risk, get this according to this article, quote, neither the agency nor the plant's company alerted the thousands of affected residents. This is truly evil. Okay. The EPA knew that this was poison, that it was the cause of all these weird cancers. The EPA knew that in Port Neches, this enormous plant was situated one half mile from a, an elementary and a middle school. So that if children went through both schools, these children would be exposed, what, eight, nine years daily? The plant, I don't, the plant's company, they're not going to want to alert people because they don't want to have to pay. But the agency didn't alert the affected residents? Why? Didn't, they, didn't the EPA have a duty to alert people that their children may, be, may have been uh, exposed to a known carcinogen on a daily basis situated a half mile from their school? And Mr. Cloud said it's also illegal. That, that, that was also legal. To quote Mr. Cloud, why didn't they shout that from the rooftop? because they didn't have to. There was no regulatory requirement to do so, end quote. Well, that's true. Maybe the agent, maybe the company didn't have to, but the EPA should have been forced to. And Huntsman Chemical, this was, again, we're talking about Huntsman. They sold the site to Indorama Ventures. Um, so Huntsman was asked why the company didn't tell Port Natchez community about the risk they were facing, and Huntsman Chemical responded, um, and keep in mind, Huntsman sold it in 2020. Quote, Huntsman places care for the environment and the health and safety of our associates in the communities where we operate the forefront of everything we do. Huntsman sold the Port Neche site to Indorama Ventures, which began operating the plant in January 2020. Didn't really answer the question, did it? Indorama refused to respond to a request by the Intercept for comments. So, once again, we're dealing with an agency that is probably uh, is either so understaffed and so ethically compromised 
that it can't do the job that it was tasked with doing. There needs to be some major accountability and transparency from the Environmental Protection Agency. It cannot continue this way. So the EPA in 2016, their assessment of ethylene oxide did enforce them to do much. Um, the EPA did update one rule governing the release of the chemical and was called a miscellaneous organic chemical manufacturing or MON source, source category. Um, there would be new requirements for vents, storage tanks, and equipment at the plants that would, quote, provide an ample margin of safety to protect public health, end quote. But by EPA's own calculations, the changes that they are bragging about in 2016 would only reduce nationwide emissions by less than 1%. Okay, so that's what we're dealing with here. There's more, this is really just vile, okay? Um, you know, and regarding ethylene oxide and the EPA's history of it, they, according to this article, they've done worse, quote, worse than nothing, end quote. Um, they've basically taken steps that benefit companies using the chemical at the expense of the rest of us are forced to breathe it in. We've been lied to, we've been with, we haven't been told the truth, and then we're forced to inhale this stuff. And under Trump, the agency really went totally to the bottom. Um, he pushed two boosters of the energy and chemical industries. Uh, Trump forced the EPA to roll back dozens of regulations, all right, the EPA's Office of Air and Radiation um, was, according to this article, quote, a textbook example of regulatory capture, end quote. And regulatory capture is semantic legalese for corporate dictates and the agency has been neutered, okay? So the Office of, basically, the Office of Air and Radiation was first headed by Bill Wayroom, who was a corporate lawyer. And Mr. Wayroom spent most of his career fighting air pollution regulations, according to the New York Times. Some of Wayroom's former clients included the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers, which is a trade group, and Huntsman Chemical belongs to it, as well as other ethylene oxide producers. Wow. Talk about a vile conflict of interest. Now, in 2019, Wayroom was replaced by Ann Idsel Austin, and she's a Texan, but she has also obviously close ties to the oil and gas industry, according to Grist. She then left the EPA through that infamous revolving door, and she joined the legal lobbying firm of Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman. And here's another little note. Austin has come from a, shall we say, well-connected political family, and they own the ranch, according to the Texas Observer, where Vice President Dick Cheney shot one of his alleged friends while hunting quail. Yeah. Okay. So in March 2020, the EP Office of Inspector General, they put out a report on the agency's failure to alert communities that have increased 
cancer risk from ethylene oxide, and that included Portneches. And the EPA Office of the Inspector General, and this came from EPA.gov, really ripped the EPA for allowing vulnerable communities to remain in the dark. They live near, uh, these were communities that live near 25 high priority facilities, quote, with a forum for an interactive exchange of information with EPA or state personnel regarding health concerns related to exposure to ethylene oxide. Okay, so the EPA's own Office of Inspector General ripped the EPA, to put it bluntly, a new butthole but it did no good. And once again, a lot of these 25 high priority facilities are, pop, are basically areas where um, a lot of them are, again, blacker and poorer, okay? Of the 25 high priority facilities, um, those who are 60% white and have an average per capita income of more than 30,000 a year, um, were more than three times, they were nearly three times more likely to have been informed that there was a danger with ethylene oxide. The communities that were less than 60% white, in other words, blacker and poorer, and earned less than uh, 30,000, were not informed. Okay. Other groups that were not informed, not told by the EPA about the risk from ethylene oxide emissions were people living within two miles of a Lyondell plant in Channel View, Texas. Um, and that was according to an EPA database called the Toxic Release Inventory, or TRI. 89% of the residents there are people of color, and their average income is less than 24000 a year. It goes on and on and on. Okay. So, this is nothing new, okay? And you think, okay, how'd they get away with this? Weren't the numbers there? Remember, during the Trump administration, there were quite a few websites that were taken down under Trump's orders. So give you an example here. Um, activists in Lake County, we started with that group, okay? They were doing a presentation and they were getting re they were actually getting ready to give a presentation, and they were reviewing um, ethylene oxide emissions from the Vantage plant. Now they had downloaded these these figures a few months before the EPA's toxic release inventory. They went to look at it again. Guess what? The numbers that they had previously found on the spreadsheet, and they copied they, you know they copy and pasted into their presentation were no longer there. They had been scrubbed. Before the database had shown, the facility released 11,547 pounds of ethylene oxide in 2016. When they checked, the 2016 emissions had miraculously been reduced to 1,126. They lost about 10,000 pounds of this junk. And Sarah Crawford, who's a member of Stop ETO in Lake County, was quoted saying, quote, at first we thought, wait, did we pull that wrong? The data is completely different. We almost felt like we were going crazy, end quote. They weren't. Here's what happened, the, and they didn't know this. On October 18, 2018, Vantage revised previously posted reports of ethylene oxide emissions in the TRI for every year, and they started in 2016, but they went all the way back to 2010. 
And in every case, the new numbers were miraculously, leavably less. Okay? So they changed seven years of TRI reporting, and they eliminated, eliminated overall, just now one instance, more than 64,000 pounds of ethylene oxide emissions report. So by changing seven years of TRI reporting, they had eliminated the record. The Vantage wasn't the only one, okay? Dow Chemical did the same thing. And it goes on and it goes on. Um, Vantage did not, they didn't comment either, and we're kind of running low on time, unfortunately, now. Seven companies, all told, retroactively, after the fact, went back and cooked the books and changed their numbers on ethylene oxide emissions for 12 facilities since 2018. And <clears throat> especially after news broke about extra dangers posed by this chemical, and that was according to an analysis of EPA records done by the Intercept and Material Research. Overall, almost 270,000 pounds of ethylene oxide pollution just miraculously disappeared. It's a silly, their excuses are as ludicrous as a Seinfeld episode. So it goes on and it goes on. And, you know, one of the excuses is, for instance, um, Russell Johnson, who's a communications manager for a company called Safball, explained that when their company changed their TR, TRI reports after testing, um, they found that Safball had been, quote, significantly over-reporting our ethylene oxide emissions for several years. Based on what proof? Their say-so? Because this is in a court of law, for instance. But these people had to testify under oath in a court with no backup and showing that they had falsified records and perjured themselves, they'd be sitting in jail cells, and rightfully so. So here's the last kicker. We won't get into it too much. We're going to probably do a second part of this. So according to The Intercept, some of these companies seemingly change their records because the, court, because the Trump EPA asked them to. Okay. Now, Russell Johnson of Sasshole said that, quote, no one told us to revise the numbers, end quote. But EPA's Madeline Beal was quoted, quote, EPA's, EPA's TRI program did not ask any facility to revise ethylene oxide emissions according to TRI and as a result of the IRIS assessment. Okay, so they're all denying it. Um, you know, this is basically no transparency, no accountability, why these people have not been basically served papers and indicted, I'll never know. In fact, it, the abuse of the falsification got so bad that there was one, um, there was one uh, attorney named Carrie Powell, and Carrie Powell specialized in air permits, and quote, the air pollution estimates, which are sometimes based on their own test. Uh, let's see, it's unclear what they're based on. Even the government can't get the underlying basis for these estimates unless they pay a huge fee to the industry group. So basically, 
the TRA is such, let me backtrack a little bit here. In 1986, EPA began to require industrial facilities to track and report to the TRA amounts of certain chemicals released into air and water that are suspected of having serious health or environmental effects. And that move came two years after the gas leak in Bhopal, India, which killed thousands of people. Now, that move was supposed to provide transparency, but the TRA is, according to this article, notoriously opaque. By law, get this, polluting facilities are required to use, and get this loosey-goosey language, quote, the best readily available data. Okay, I don't know what that means. But they're allowed to estimate if real measurements aren't, quote, readily available. What constitutes best readily available data? Where are the criterion? Every agency has, they've established criterion that actually are part of the definition of any particular test or measurement. So where is it? And you can estimate if it's not readily available? Good God, this is so wide, this loophole is so broad you could drive a Mack truck through it. And even industry insiders are really confused. This is where Carrie, the Kerry Powell um, quote comes in. Quote, they use air pollution estimates, which are sometimes based on their own tests. In other cases, it's unclear what they're based on. Even the government can't get the underlying basis for these estimates unless they pay a huge fee to the industry group that created them, end quote. And Todd Cloud, former air pollution consultant for industry, which means he worked on really the other side, um, was quoted as saying, estimate is too kind a word. Some of those numbers we use, we call them WAGs. And you ask them what's a wag. That's short for wild ass guesses. That's what they're basing the measurements to deny these communities clean air and not to be exposed to known carcinogens. They're allowing these companies to use what is so obnoxiously called a wag, a wild ass guess. The excuse was the EPA doesn't have the staff to verify accuracy of TRI reports, especially the ones that are prepared and submitted by industry. First of all, the industry shouldn't be providing those reports. We need to restaff the EPA and bring in people that are going to very objectively measure things, and they go in and they measure, and no, the company is not alerted in advance. And they do this routinely at unexpected times, and then they release that information to the public, period. That is the only way this will work. I don't mean to yell, but this just makes me so angry. So there's more here. The industry obviously fights back. Um, you know, again, there are alternatives to the use of ethylene oxide, okay? Now, the Ethylene Oxide Sterilization Association claims that the chemical is, quote, critical to patient care, and they've linked that to the COVID pandemic. My question is this. What do medical professionals do before they use ethylene oxide to help sterilize things? Didn't they use um, a high-pressured, basically, oven? Wouldn't that still work? But ethylene oxide also is used, and get this, just when you thought it couldn't get worse. The petrochemical industry. It's tied to fracking. 
okay? Uh, apparently using ethylene oxide has reduced the cost of natural gas liquids that, in other words, the fracking fluid that's used to produce the chemical. Um, global market for ethylene oxide is, according to this, estimated to be worth $45 billion, with a B, in 2020, and it's projected to expand, according to Globenewswire.com, to more than $64 billion by 2027, and much of that growth will be in the U.S. The American Chemistry Council, the trade group, they represent chemical companies. And they've argued the EPA's assessment of ethylene oxide was, quote, significantly flawed, and it, quote, is causing unnecessary alarm, end quote. My question to the American Chemistry Council is based on what objective measurements? So we only have about six minutes left. There's going to be more to this. As I said, I wanted to get this out to you quickly. Um, because this story just broke today in The Intercept. You can read the whole thing uh, in The Intercept. Sharon Lerner wrote it. It is a phenomenal expose. Um, we need an Environmental Protection Agency. That's patently clear. But we need one <clears throat> that not only has teeth, but has the power of enforcement. Okay. And enforcement means that when these companies basically falsify records or otherwise perjure themselves on the record, they not only need to face criminal charges with mandatory jail time, but they need to be civilly sued as well and repay the communities that they have so horribly damaged, period. If there's no consequences, they're going to keep doing this because big business doesn't care. <clears throat> what happens to our families? That's obvious. I mean, they are so morally bankrupt, some of these manufacturers, that they put a dangerous chemical operation a half mile from an elementary school and a middle school. If that's not moral bankruptcy, I don't know what is. The EPA has been defanged a long time ago especially during the Reagan administration. Uh, the Superfund is also another area that needs to be changed. Industries used to have to pay into the Superfund. They no longer do. And this is, we need to hold these people accountable. Okay, that's it. There will be more about this story. Like I said, I just went over the basics today because the story just broke. But once again, while the Trump EPA did sink to a new low, this neutering of government agencies that are supposed to protect us, such as the EPA, has been going on for decades now. So while the Trump EPA invited companies to revise pollution records by the now known potent carcinogen, okay, um, once again, this falsifying of records, it, it, the, ineffect the ineffectiveness of the EPA has to be addressed, all right? Um, this is not a victimless crime. It just isn't. And the next person that dies from a cancer caused perhaps by ethylene oxide could be someone you love. Could be your spouse, one of your parents, a sibling, or God forbid it could be your child. 
we can allow, allow this type of insane greed to dominate our society any longer. We are allowing a billionaire class that is very small to not only dominate, but to destroy the rest of our lives in this baseless nonsense that you too could be rich someday. No. So once again, um, we have to fight this not just for ourselves, but for generations yet to become. So I hope this shed a little light. Um, again, this is not the definitive report. We will get into it more. But this is your host and producer, Janine Moloff, with the Environmental Justice Report. Good night. And, and God bless. Hmm. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.